It's so good to see each and every person assembled and gathered here today. It would be entirely proper to wish a happy Mother's Day, of course, to all the mothers in our audience. So many visitors that have come our way to honor and to especially consider their mothers today, and we certainly would want each of those mothers to understand just how thankful we are for them and just how appreciative we are of all that they have done and continue to do. As we think about mothers today, quite frankly, the Bible also has a lot to say about motherhood. You'll notice the title of the lesson, in fact, will direct us to the closing chapter of the Roman letter for the next few moments today. Would you think with me about the mother Rufus and also of Paul? Now, I worded that for that particular reason. It does have within it an interesting set of ideas, and as you and I seek to develop them this morning, I believe we'll truly be enriched as we think ourselves about not only the Bible's discussion of motherhood, but certainly the blessing that's ours to have a mother so often talked about in the Word of God. You'll notice on that opening slide, isn't it so that the Bible makes mention by name of a large number of mothers? What about Jochebed, the mother of Moses? Or what about, let's say, Ruth, the mother of Obed? To that list, you and I might add, what about Hannah, the blessed mother of Samuel? The Old Testament, in as much as it reveals and describes those mothers, you and I have a lot said about them, their efforts of life, and that which, of course, they ultimately brought about through the nature of their children. What about Mary, the mother of Jesus? And you and I see the mother of Timothy. One by one, those are quickly those that come to mind, but the Bible has a lot to say about additional mothers besides them. It's truly fair to say. Today, we're going to talk about a mother whose name we don't even know. The Bible just tells us the name of her children. We don't know her name, but oh, what you and I can learn about the mother of Rufus. Would you turn with me again to the 16th chapter of Romans as we think for the next few moments about this interesting woman. The lesson I've chosen to develop it in the following way, and I hope that you and I can learn much from a consideration of this very brief verse. Again, the verse, Brother Andrew read it a moment ago, but it reads like this. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. You easily can notice what I just said. Here, the inspired writer Paul made allusion to and rather direct reference to Rufus's mother. But he added a very intriguing statement. It says, and mine. What is it that Paul meant by this? And what might be some things that you and I can use today to reflect upon our mother perhaps and to set before our thoughts the idea of what God has in mind for a godly and biblical mother You'll notice as we come to this opening slide, let me allow you to set with me the context of this chapter. The Roman letter is in many ways a very profound presentation of truth. In it is set before us the principal thought of salvation by grace through faith. And as that's developed through 16 rather amazing chapters... We find in it some truths that are quite often deep and some matters that on occasion are very eminently practical. But through it all, Paul never sets, step, never sets beside himself the point of this truth. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16 
But isn't it fascinating that as you come to the closing chapter, what a personal touch. I would ask you to note quickly the following. Paul, by name, mentions 29 people. People very dear to Paul. Individuals in the church at Rome that brought such fond memories to his mind. Don't you find it amazing that in the midst of this profound and powerful presentation of truth, Paul calls these people by name and he mentions what sweet things they had done to him and for him. You'll notice among those 29, this congregation in Rome is one that Paul, of course, thought of so fondly. And with that, you'll notice nine particular greetings are sent rather directly. So much so that could you and I not learn in, in an eminently powerful lesson. Christianity, the service of the God of heaven, is not a cold and abstract thing. Paul loved these people. He thought so fondly of them. Among those particular mentions is again verse 13. As you and I come to the close of that slide, let's notice it again. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. One of the Christians serving in the church at Rome was a man named Rufus. Now maybe your mind and mine races to wonder, what do we know about Rufus? Quite often the Bible doesn't satisfy all of our petty curiosities. God never intended the Bible to do that. Rather, He puts before us those pertinent matters needful for the presentation of faith and truth and in so doing, there's enough information by the great presentation of God for us to live faithful to Him. The word salute means to greet. It has behind it the thought of to embrace, and furthermore, to express the highest and best of good wishes. Paul thought a lot of Rufus. As you come to the next slide with me, now let's come to that gentleman's name that Paul calls especially, Salute Rufus. As the Holy Spirit directed Paul to write this letter, Paul called out the name of Rufus. Salute Rufus. At the top of that slide, I've asked you to notice uh, what appears to me to be a very interesting observation. You and I might wonder, is Rufus mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? Do we have any additional information about the kind of man this was, the way he served the Lord in Christianity, and the kind of influence that he had? There's only one other place in all the New Testament that the word Rufus occurs. It's in Mark 15, 21. If you revisit that particular text with me, allow me to invite you to do this. That scene is one in which our Savior was nearly ready to be crucified. He was being led by the Romans to that old place called Calvary. As he trudged along the way, the time came that the Romans compelled a gentleman named Simon to carry the cross of our Savior. Simon appeared to have just been a bystander, a person who just happened to be there at that place and time. As the Romans compelled Simon to offer that assistance, you'll notice the following almost incidental piece of information is given. It says, we are told the name of Simon's two children. One of them was Alexander. One of them was Rufus. Was the Rufus mentioned in Romans 16, 13, the same Rufus mentioned in Mark 15, 21? 
I suppose we can't definitively say so, but could I invite you to note this? The gospel you and I call Mark was written for the Romans. It was written for the backdrop of a person schooled in the characteristic of being a Roman. It was written for the benefit and blessing of the Roman group of people. I wouldn't at all be surprised if that person who carried the cross of Jesus, that man named Simon, it wouldn't surprise me at all if his children were such that upon his observance that day of that man who was crucified, if in fact he so directed and guided his family, including his son named Rufus, that that same boy became a leader and a prolific servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in the city of Rome. We don't know it for sure to be true, but it certainly seems like enough facts lend themselves to that being a strong possibility. At the very least, we can say this, Rufus was chosen. Notice again Romans 16, 13, it says, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. That word chosen highlights the fact that he was selected. And as such, he was an excellently one picked out for the service. Rufus was interested in using his talents and his capabilities, whatever they were, in the service of God in Rome. That's so commendable. And Paul appreciated this man, but not only that. You'll notice it was in the Lord. What do you know about Rufus? You don't know if he was a carpenter. You don't know if he was some other kind of special mechanic for the things of that day and time. But this much you and I know, he was chosen in the Lord. The arena in which he applied his efforts and he employed himself was in the Lord. Don't you want to be known for that too? I know I do. Among all other things that this life affords and offers, wouldn't it be fascinating and appreciative to be known for working in the ways of the Lord? Now look at what's next on the slide, because Paul didn't stop with a salutation with respect to Rufus. It says in that same verse, Salute Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother. There weren't many ladies especially mentioned throughout the course of that chapter, but here reference is made, and though we don't know her name, she was the mother of Rufus. Salute her, Paul said. As you give thought to the salutation directed to this woman, this mother of Rufus, could I ask you to notice that clearly means exactly what the Holy Spirit indicated, the literal, physical mother of Rufus. She too apparently was a well-known Christian woman in that area, and her service through the nature of the church was highly commended by Paul. Paul wrote to that church, you salute Rufus as well as his mother. But at that point, here is where we reach that point in the verse that no doubt is such a fanciful and an amazing thing that rests upon your heart and mind. It's wonderful to notice the mother of Rufus, but Paul adds these two little words, and mine, and mine. Now let's face it, the mother of Rufus was not literally the birth mother of Paul. That's not what he's saying. But there was some way, some means in which this lady that literally was the mother of Rufus, she had acted toward Paul like a mother figure. She had in fact bestowed upon him the kindly and wonderful things that a mother does. And Paul so fondly remembered her. He thought of her and he addressed salutations to her. 
as we come to the bottom of that slide, I've actually used the ESV's rendition of that verse because it seems to again be so wonderfully presented. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. This woman that literally was the mother of Rufus, what is it that she had done to Paul? What is it that he was able to say, she has acted like a mother to me? And that was so etched in the fond memories and recollections of Paul that it's included in Holy Scripture. Salute his mother and mine. Now as you and I come to the bottom of that slide, let's be quick to say, the details of the specifics of the ways in which the mother of Rufus had served as a mother figure to Paul, all of that's not provided. But the rest of our lesson will be observations concerning things that it might have been and things that the Word of God would ask us to appreciate about a godly mother. The first observation, the first point is this. First of all, let's take the wording for exactly the way in which the Holy Spirit has presented it. His mother and mine. The opening observation, she literally behaved in a very directed and specific way like a mother to Paul. One of the things you and I know so well is the kind of love that a mother, of course, directs to her children, to her family. That love that is so penetrating and powerful, that love that's so encompassing and rich and full. This lady, though perhaps not at all directly related by kinship and blood to Paul, she nonetheless acted toward him like his mother. She appreciated and cared for him. That's what a mother does. Titus 2 verse 4 directly brings that to appreciation to you and to me. Paul later, as he would direct that writing to Titus, in verse 4 of chapter 2, he pointed out that among the things a mother does, she loves her children and she loves her husband. This mother of Rufus, she had extended to Paul an amazing appreciation of loving provision. She did that. You'll notice in Song of Solomon 8 verse 6, perhaps with a tremendous note of sacrifice and inconvenience on her part. Love is stronger than death. It's at this point that I would like to invite you to consider something. Any consideration like this clearly must be taken with care, but it certainly seems to me like it's worthwhile to note it. Paul, of course, was reared up in a strongly Jewish home. In Acts 22, verse number 3, he sat and was schooled at the feet of the most noted rabbi of the time named Gamaliel. Paul's parents were no doubt very strongly devoted to the characteristic of that old law of Moses and all that went with it. May I ask you to consider, what happened on that day on the road to Damascus when Paul obeyed the gospel? Or rather, when he talked to the Lord and shortly thereafter in Damascus was baptized into Christ. How do you suppose his father and mother reacted to him? How do you suppose they treated him? Do you suppose they abandoned him? They, of course, being faithful Jews, do you suppose they had nothing to do with him? Did they excommunicate him from the family? Paul never says a word about it. I can't help but believe his mother's heart may have been broken. 
my son, that I intended to be a faithful Jew like I and his father are, and now you've become a Christian, you've obeyed the gospel, you've turned your life now to pursue the very thing that you, your father and I consider blasphemy? Could it be that the mother Rufus filled in the role of his own mother when she would have nothing to do with him anymore? Now, I admit, the New Testament doesn't say, but that does cross your mind in light of a verse like this one. Salute Rufus's mother and mine. Could it be that this lady, though again not directly related to him, served as a figure like a mother to him when his own family, his own mother, no longer would have free course with him? Maybe those things lead us to that next statement. One of the things about love is how genuine it is. This lady appreciated him and upheld him in his work of the truth. For you see, love is without dissimulation, Romans 12 verse 9. And maybe one final thought in that would be this one. You and I today, of course, have the opportunity to be mindful of what our mothers have done for us. Those moments... And perhaps there were many of them where they sacrificed, often inconveniencing themselves. Now, they didn't defend us and what we did was wrong. A mother wouldn't do that. She'd be quick with a word of rebuke. But it would be extended with kindness and with tact and with a strong desire for you and I to make the decision that was right and to fix things up in our life if we had taken the path that was wrong. This lady that was the mother of Rufus and was also the mother figure to Paul. You'll notice what the next point is. Another thing that a mother does is not only love, but to encourage in a rather definitive and direct way. Consider 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 and following. The inspired writer gives us information about the fact that Paul himself experienced a great deal. Have you ever thought about where Paul found his encouragement? This one who suffered beatings, shipwreck, this one who himself found himself in perils in the country and even amongst his own brethren, this one who found himself so often looked down upon by others, he was stoned. Who encouraged Paul? I wouldn't at all be surprised if he received on occasion a letter from the mother of Rufus. Paul, we love you and we appreciate what you're doing. We know it's hard. We heard what they did to you at Corinth. We heard what they did to you at Ephesus. I found word, in fact, what had befallen you when you traveled to Lystra. My heart yearns for you, Paul, but I want you to know that please keep going. Don't give up on your service for God. The church needs you. The church, in fact, is desperate for the kind of teaching that you present. And don't you ever give up, Paul. I wouldn't at all be surprised if this lady directed words much like that on more than one occasion to him. Those words of encouragement lead us to reflect perhaps upon another mother. What about the mother of Timothy? In 2 Timothy, a four-chapter book, we have these following references in chapter 1, verse 5, mention is made of first Timothy's grandmother Lois and then his mother Eunice. 
These ladies are commended so highly because their faith was unfeigned, meaning it was genuine. And as such, that faith had been bequeathed into Timothy. But consider the encouragement. Have you ever pondered this with me? When Paul on the second missionary journey in Acts 16 came to the regions of Derby and Lystra, Timothy lived there. And Paul extended an invitation to Timothy to come with him. Timothy could have said no. His parents, or maybe I should say his mother, might have said, No, I want you to stay here with me. But apparently he, his mother gave him her blessings. Timothy went. She encouraged him in his work for the Lord. Those words of encouragement bring us to Hebrews 6, verse number 1. The encouragement that comes your way and mine from a faithful, godly mother to push onward, to push forward, to push upward, to utilize our abilities and talents in the service of the greatest King of all, King Jesus Christ. As you close that particular slide with me, how interesting it is then to hear the words of the inspired writer in Proverbs 1.8, The law of thy mother. Don't you find that intriguing? So often as reference is made to perhaps the law of the father, and yet when we're young and even as we grow older, our mothers often had rules and expectations, and she intended that we take them seriously. And we learned what it meant when we didn't. And yet the law of thy mother, as it's extolled and lifted so highly, what an encouragement for a mother to know what's wrong and right and to insist that her children learn the way of rightness. One final thing on that slide. The Old Testament gave commandment then, honor thy father and thy mother. It wasn't just appropriate to remember and honor father. It was also important, in fact, significantly so, that one would honor one's mother. Of course, you and I live so many centuries this side of the events of Exodus 12, but aren't we still honored to be able to think about the attributes of a godly mother? So far, this mother figure to Paul has highlighted so many things in our heart. But I suppose the greatest is still to come. Salute Rufus's mother and mine. One of the things it seems clear that Rufus's mother did was that she helped to make a home, a home respectful of godly things, a home mindful of godly things. And it is to this point, again, that Paul was clear in his reference for one of the highest and greatest appreciations of what a mother does is the relationship to the home. It is with that in mind. Let's develop that in the following way. The opening thought on that slide. And the Bible is rather clear about this. All the men in this audience know it well. God made men and women so very different. And when you appreciate the role in the family... Men, though try we may, there are things that God has suited a woman to do in the home. We can't do them as well as her. And we know there are things she can't do as well as us. But the point is, it was she who was said to rule the house. There's something about guiding that home in the way of a mother that simply a man cannot do like she can. How many times, I wonder, had Rufus's mother opened her home and 
provided a place for Paul to stay. Again, the Bible doesn't say. But I wonder how many times she afforded and offered to him the kind and sweet environment of a tranquil and serene place away from those perils to which we referred earlier. A place of solace and comfort. A place of kindness and provision. A place of godly love. Maybe it is in light of those things. Titus 2 verse 5 especially uses this word. With regard to a woman, the word homemaker is there found. A woman again is able to turn that domicile, that residence if you please, into a place that honors God and makes it into what God would wish it to be. She can have such an influence toward that goal. Is it any wonder then we know Paul's travels? The book of Acts details for you and me that Paul traveled one, two, three missionary journeys and later a voyage to Rome. He found himself in a lot of distant places. I wonder how often he would have enjoyed the comforts of a fine Christian place to stay. A place in which he could appreciate the godly influence of a woman like Rufus's mother. Maybe it is in light of that. A mother that works to fashion a home into a godly place is a true prize indeed. A prize that the Bible lifts so highly. And a place that her children no doubt will rise up and call her blessed. Proverbs 31 verses 28 and following. Those last thoughts on that slide bring us to note one more time an association. Now, we've highlighted the mother Rufus, but think about the other examples in the Bible of those mothers, some of whom I mentioned earlier in the lesson, but think about what they, in fact, assisted. Think about Moses' mother. Here was a little boy who was able to grow up with all the prestige and power of the Egyptian government. And yet his mother's the one that nursed him. And when the time came, the decision had to be made. I, Moses said, will stand with the people of God. How did he learn about that? It wasn't through Pharaoh's daughter. It was through his own mother. She had instilled in it within him a desire of godliness, an appreciation of the things of the truth, so that when the time came in life, that never left him. What about Samuel? Hannah had prayed with such fervency for a son in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And yet, when God opened her womb and blessed her with the birth of that boy, we notice the time came she turned him over to the service of the God of heaven by taking him to, to the tabernacle at Shiloh. Maybe it is in light of those things. Let's quickly think about Timothy's mother. We mentioned her earlier. We know her name was Eunice. And yet we notice one more thing that was said about Timothy's family. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, Paul made this rather innocent sounding comment. Thou hast known, telling Timothy, the Holy Scriptures from a babe. May I ask, who read those Scriptures to Timothy while he was still a baby? Who instilled in him that knowledge and appreciation when he was still so young? It isn't reasonable to think it was his daddy because his daddy was a Greek. He was a Gentile. But his mother was a Jew. That lady had read to him the Scriptures. 
she took seriously the teaching of God. She saw to it that that little boy grow up, grew up knowing the things of the truth. Ladies, there's no greater work that you can do on earth than to help to ensure that your children know the things of God. And while they're young, to implant that in their heart so that as they grow older, they'll always have a foundation and a background to which they can turn that will allow them to remember the things that are black and white, the things of God. The world will often seek to confuse them, will often try to give them additional ideas and scenarios and approaches, and yet God's Word will always still say what they learned to say early on. Timothy, of course, had an unfeigned faith, and that's in part because his mother did, and that's in part because his grandmother did. Maybe it is in light of that you'll notice that his mother was a courageous woman. Dad may have offered little help, sadly enough, but that didn't change what Eunice did. Be courageous and bold in insisting on the things of God in your home. As your children learn those ways, encourage them in the ways of godliness. Make sure they know you'll stand behind them in those decisions and help them to know that the things of the Bible are always the places to which to turn for the answers to life's greatest questions. At the bottom of that slide, then, you'll notice Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. We all know the way he should go. It's the way that leads to heaven. It's the way that leads successfully through this life. Be thankful for godly mothers. And to those ladies in the audience, those who are mothers, be appreciative of the opportunity and the obligation God has given you, but also the influence you're able to exert. One final thought. That law of thy mother, highlighted in Proverbs chapter 6, as reference is made to it, are you a faithful Christian? How often has your mother prayed for your faithfulness? Beseeching God that you might walk the way of goodness, fidelity, and truth through life. Maybe you've taken the wrong pathway though. I realize salvation ultimately has relationship, of course, directly to God. Don't you want to go to heaven and don't you want to be saved? The plan of salvation is straightforwardly put before you and me, and aren't we thankful for that simplicity? You must hear the gospel message, believe it to be true, specifically believing Jesus to be the Son of God and that these things are His Word, John 8, 24. You must repent of your sins. Those things done in life that themselves were against the law of God, you've got to have a mindset to change in regard to them. You can't keep doing them. That repentance, of course, is a change of mind that manifests itself in a change of your behavior. You must then confess, because Jesus said so. Confess that you believe, in fact, Jesus to be the Son of God, and then you can have your sins washed away in baptism. What an amazing activity. As you are submerged between, beneath that water, in the same way you bury a body, that old man of sin is buried and taken away, and you rise out of that a new creature in Christ. You now are a Christian, a member of the church of Christ, the church for which Jesus' blood was shed, and you can then live faithfully till death and go home to glory. 
this very day, there may be someone in the audience that you've never become a Christian. You've reached an age of knowing though you should. Why not let today be the day to be immersed into Christ? If we could assist you in that way today, what a great and notable day for you would be. If you've become a Christian, though, but you've wandered along the pathway of sinfulness and sorrow, a path that's brought disgrace and shame to you and maybe even your mother, why not make it right? The devil's trying to hold you back, but you know Jesus is stronger than him, 1 John 3, 8. And if you'll come to the Master, you can cast aside... In the same way Jesus did. Remember when Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Matthew 4, 11. You can do that too. The Lord implores you to come. He begs you to come. He wants you to come. But He leaves you to make the decision. We've studied today about Rufus's mother and Paul's. Today, I think we've each been encouraged to live a life of wholesomeness and godliness and rightness. And if we can encourage anyone in doing that in a public way, we'd be delighted. In fact, we want to do that. This hymn of encouragement has been chosen. Right now is a great time to obey your Lord in a public way if you need to do that. Won't you do it while together we stand and while we sing?